0: Hallelujah. Good morning. If you want to turn to John's Gospel a moment, we're going to start a brand new series today. John's Gospel chapter 14. I want to read just one verse there. Actually, the verse is, the title of the series is in this verse. John's Gospel chapter 14 and verse 30. When I first read this, the first time I ever read this, I remember thinking to myself, this may not be the best verse in the Bible, but it's got to be in the top 10. Right? John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 30. Jesus speaking. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world... Who's that? Who's that? That's Satan. The devil. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. No. Let me do what Pastor Fred here does. Could I have my next slide, please? Take a look at in many different versions about what that line actually says. It's talking about the devil and how Jesus perceives the devil, right? He said, firstly, he has no hold on me. He's got nothing in me. He's got nothing on me. He's got no claim on me, right? He's got nothing in common with me. He's got nothing, there's nothing in me that belongs to him. He's got no power over me. And you can go on and on through the different versions and just see the actual truth behind that statement that Jesus made. And that's why it sort of impressed me the first time I read that, because I thought, wow, imagine seeing the devil, you know, and saying, here comes Satan, here comes the devil, and he has not got one thing on me. That's pretty good. And I believe that that is, is our inheritance. Do you know, the devil could be described in many different ways. He's the fertilizer, and I'll explain more in a moment. He's the fertilizer of sin. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the supreme tempter. And ultimately, as he approaches Jesus, or he approaches you, he comes, listen carefully, he comes to advance sin in you. To advance its corruption. He comes to do one of three things. Advance sin, accuse you of sin, or tempt you to sin. Now, when Jesus said, here comes the prince of this world and he's got nothing on me, what Jesus is actually saying is, this is before he's crucified. But Jesus is actually saying, that's because I've crucified the flesh. That's why. And in some senses, Jesus was crucified twice, he had no hold on him because Christ had already walked with a crucified flesh. There was nothing in him that the devil could infest. Now, you know what it's like when somebody's got something on you, right? It puts you at a bit of a disadvantage. Now, I think my wife's a much better wife than I am husband, and that tends to be pretty common, actually. I do an awful lot wrong, and she hardly does anything wrong. So if she was trying to have something on me, and she's told me this, it wouldn't be difficult. She's got loads of things that she could say, but it's not the same for me. And so when she does something wrong, I am delighted. Because I've got something, you know. And several years ago, several years ago, we hadn't been married long, and we were having an argument, and praise God, we get on very well. But every now and again, you have an argument. This is probably the biggest argument we ever had. And she was washing dishes at the time. And she's standing there, and she just lost her temper, you know? And she had this breadboard in her hand at the time. And she was washing the breadboard, and she lost it. And she lifted it up, and she was going to throw it at me, so I ran. Hallelujah! (laughs) She turned, and she went like that, and there was a split second where I thought, either it's going to hit me, but she changed her mind. And she slapped it into the sink and the suds went everywhere. Now it took her about five seconds and she thought, I'm sorry. But after that was over, I went and got the breadboard and I've treasured it ever since. (laughs) Praise the Lord. In fact, I said to her, what I was thinking is we should mount it in the living room on the wall as a constant reminder. It's the only thing I've got. Jesus sees the devil approaching and he says, he's got nothing on me. When someone's got something on you, you're at a disadvantage to them, right? And in the, in the book of James, it says that sin, in fact, turn to it. James chapter 1. Take a look at this. The book of James chapter 1 and verses 13 to 15. It talks about sin within us and how we can easily be duped or fooled to its origin. James 1 verse 13 When tempted no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived see the process here? It's fascinating. So each person is dragged away by his own Evil desires, then after desire has conceived, so there's a birth process to sin, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I want you to understand, look at me a minute. It isn't only God who searches us. It isn't only God who comes to you by the Holy Ghost and searches you out. It's also the devil. And he seeks, just like God seeks to you know, to put stuff in you, to build you up, so the devil also seeks out people. Remember Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, it wasn't just God who was talking about Job. It was also, it was Satan. It was, here comes the evil one and he's got nothing on me. And you can see that discussion, that conversation between God and the devil. They were discussing if Satan could find anything in Job. And that's what the whole debate was about, right? Could I have my next slide? Sorry, I'll sorry, that's the one. So James tells us that sin, it's not the only place it resides, but sin resides in the flesh. And the devil comes to entice that. And if we allow that to happen, we actually, as he puts it, conceive. And he talks about the birth process. And then sin begins to grow. And ultimately, we give birth to sin and ultimately death. Now, let me give you a a grotesque example. I'm sorry this is really gross, but it's true, and it's the Bible's description of the devil. Satan is described as this, Beelzebub. Do you know what that means? It means Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, Beelzebub. And the picture that God is trying to tell you something, see? The picture that God wants you to see in Lord of the Flies or Beelzebub is... The devil has a rotten mass. A rotten, stinking mass. And he's the Lord of the flies or spirits or demons which are attracted to that rottenness. And if you can imagine the picture God wants you to understand. So Satan is this stinking mess and to him come the spirits. Now if you know how a fly operates, it's it's horrible. When a fly lands on your hand, don't go hard, look at the little fly, (laughs) if you knew what was going on, if you blow up a picture of a fly, it has a great big trunk like an elephant, and when it lands on your hand it's looking for something, it's looking for something to vomit on, sorry, but it is, so the fly goes to Satan, the spirit goes to Satan, sucks up from him, and then goes into the world to find something in someone, you get the picture? You see? So God describes Satan as the Lord of the flies, as he who is trying to spread infection, or in this case, spread sin. Now, immature believers will argue with you on this point, and they'll say, "Ah, I don't need to listen to this. You know, I'm born again now. I'm fine. I've got a new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. But you see, that's absolutely true. But you've also got flesh. And the flesh never leaves You will have flesh until the day you die. It's not a demon. You can't drive it out. You see, you have a new nature. You're absolutely right. You have a new spiritual nature. But understand this. Paul puts it in several different ways. You have a body of sin, a physical body. You have flesh. And the flesh will be with you till the day you die. There's nothing you can do about that. It doesn't change. You can't pretend you haven't got it. And when Jesus saw, or makes that statement, here comes the prince of this world and he's got nothing on me, it means he has mortified his flesh. And so human life is a sad progression for many down this track, you see. I mean, you look at the innocence in a child. A, a, A child will come, you can see the purity, you can see the innocence within them. But you know what it's like. That child gets to 17, 18, 19, 20 and they go out into the world Now tell me what's happening. What's happening? The infection, the flies, and their their flesh is beginning to be attacked. And because of maybe lack of understanding or whatever, they lose glory or whatever you might call it. So the purpose of this series, and this is the first part today, second part tonight, is to assess our hearts. And I want to ask myself, can I say the same thing as Jesus said? Can I say, the devil is in this world, but he's got nothing on me. And if I can't say that, then what are the things that I need to repent of? How do I purify this heart of mine? I don't know if there's a more free statement in the Bible than that statement. He's got nothing on me. I mean, that is total freedom. Amen? Absolute freedom. But we've got to be careful when we talk about freedom especially today, because there are many false freedoms, but there's only really one true freedom. There's many, you know, examples of freedom that you may have passed through. I certainly have. I've been in many different ministers' fraternities, you know, pastors' groups, if you like, over the years. And some of them have been, I have to be honest, you know, downright appalling. And you join some groups and there's a lot of coarse joking, There's jokes that you would never believe people should tell and be believers. There's behavior that's out of the question, but some Christians call this freedom. Are you with me? They see it as freedom, but it's not freedom. It's just loose living or whatever, but it's not freedom. And I found myself on a search, and ironically, the clearest example of true Christian freedom Rings in my mind from a time before I was saved. I was a drinking man, a heavy drinker. My whole social life was nightclubs and pubs. That's just the way it was. It was a whole gang of us, you know. There was this born again Christian in our office, and we used to—he's a really nice guy. We used to make fun of him now and again about being a believer, you know. I would say, David, you know, are you coming out to town with us? Coming to the disco? You know, there was a day when I went to discos about thirty years ago, you know. <laughs> you coming to the disco? And David would say, No, no, no. But I never forget this one day when I said, David, you coming to town on the weekend? No. And I turned to him and I said this, yeah, but you'd like to, wouldn't you, Dave? And he said, no. And I never forgot it. It was the way he said no. And it stuck with me. And I remember going, in fact, out on that night. And that thought, I was inviting him. As a young man to come into town, wine, women, and song. And when he said no, do you know what? He meant no. And it stuck in my mind. I thought, like, I've got nothing on him. What I was offering him had no hold on him. Now, it's a very sad thing that I have to go back to the days before I was saved to think of, of, of a classic example. But that was really true, and it did affect me. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there, your pint of beer doesn't taste quite as good, you know what I mean? Because I'm thinking, I've never experienced that before. He's got freedom. He's got freedom. And he could say to me, you know, what Jesus is saying to the devil right there, you've got no hold on me. So just as an introduction, briefly this morning, let's get the mindset that Jesus had. How on earth? Can he say that? And how can I bring myself to be able to say the same thing? Well, first and foremost, what I see in Christ there is that he was not confused about light and darkness, right? He was not tr- you know, confused about truth and lies. He had a, there was no gray area with Jesus. He had a crystal clear distinction of right and wrong. And part of the pull of the world can be to, to mess us up with gray areas, if you like. Years ago, I was on a trip with a whole bunch of people and we went to Pensacona Bird Park in Wales. And I don't know if you've ever been to a dedicated bird park, but they're quite an experience. I It wasn't what I expected. I walked in through the gate with a whole group of people, you know, and there's no cages. The birds are not contained and that was the first shock. You walk up and there's like a wooden perch and it's up all these little hills they had. And on the first little hill, you could walk right up and there's a perch, a wooden perch, and on that perch would be sitting uh, an, an eagle, and you could walk right up to it, and I was thinking, well, why didn't he fly away? There's no cage, nothing, and every now and again, there was loads of, you know, birds of prey all around the place, but no cages, and you look, you know, I was completely puzzled by that, some of the birds would fly, but they would just go so far, and then come back and sit on the perch go so far, and come back and sit on the perch. And the tour guide came along and told us why this was the way it was. He says, ah, you see, when the birds are young, we tie them by the foot. And we take a long cord, and the bird can sit on the perch. But it wants to get away, so it flaps, but it's held. And it's held there, and it will go back to the perch, and then try again, and try again, and try again. But it can't get free. And in the end, the mind is set. And the bird stops flying up there. It just goes so far. And after a year or two, cut the cord. And they used to leave just a little plastic hoop around the bird's foot. And that bird, even though totally free, would never try to properly fly again. Isn't it amazing the power of a lie? And all those birds are, and they are really free, but they don't exercise it, they don't actually believe it. When Hitler was winning the Second World War, he used to back off from his propaganda machine because he didn't need it. He didn't need the lies. But as he started to lose the war, he relied more and more heavily on that whole scene, on the lie scene. And so it is with the devil, because the devil is totally lost against you. Jesus has got total victory. So now what's he going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll lie to you. And it's the same sort of thing. Don't underestimate the power of the devil's lies or of living under the lie. And the first day for freedom here for Jesus is that he doesn't do that. He understands it. Remember the four-minute mile. Believe it or not, the Romans were so determined to break the four-minute mile that they used to line the runners up and release lions to chase the runners. So that gave them a bit of motivation, you know what I mean? And they still didn't break it. They still didn't break it. It took all the way till our recent past when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. And everybody thought that was it. So amazing. Now, I can't remember the exact statistics, but in the year that he broke the four-minute mile, the following year, there was something like 12 people broke it. And the next year, something like 100. And then there was over 300. It just went up, up, and then rocketed. Now, what's been broken? The four-minute mile? No. The mindset, the lie, when one person could be free, we can all be free. You see the power of it? And so it is with Christian freedom. Jesus is giving us a, a signpost that you and I can be totally free and address the devil in the same way that he does right here. So point one this morning. Watch out for the power of lies in your life concerning freedom. Take a lesson, a simple lesson from Jesus. The second point is in John chapter 8 and verse 36, the famous piece of scripture, it says this, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now that's an important statement and we need to understand it fully to experience it fully. It doesn't say that he who the sun sets free is free in principle. It could say that, but it doesn't say that. It says, he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, if you have ever sold a house, you will know that if someone makes you an offer, and the offer is accepted, here in Scotland, it works different in different countries, but here in Scotland, they put a little sign up outside that says, sale agreed, or in some countries it says this, agreed in principle. And it's a legal term. Do you know what that means, actually? Do you know what that means for the seller? (laughs) Agreed in principle? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It only means someone's made an offer, really, and I'll tell you why. Because no money has exchanged hands. You've got nothing yet. It's only in principle. There's probably been no surveys carried out, so you don't even know if they're going to proceed. And there certainly wouldn't have been any loans issued. So agreed in principle is not a great thing, and people tend to get excited about it, and then often get disappointed but God doesn't say that in John's Gospel chapter 8 verse 36 it doesn't say for he who the sun sets free is free in principle no he who the sun sets free is free in their deeds is free in their actions is free to live as they want to live empowered by me he who the sun sets free is free in their deeds. And there's a whole biblical concept behind that. It's actually called, we've been looking at the law recently. Well, this is called the law of freedom in Christ Jesus. Remember, God has had a progressive way in which He's tried to reveal Himself, reveal His truth to us. It began in nature, where God revealed Himself. And it says that in Genesis and in Romans. God made Himself known in nature. God made Himself known in the conscience. But I often hear some of you saying to people, just live by your conscience. (laughs) I would never say that. I would never say that to anybody, lost or saved. Your conscience is a broken measure. It's faulty. But nonetheless, it was part of the stages. If it had worked, God wouldn't have had to continue up this list. But he had to continue because the conscience got damaged by sin. God revealed himself in nature in the conscience. He continued to reveal himself in stone with the Ten Commandments. Revealed Himself in Jesus Christ and specifically revealed Himself in the Scriptures. And He goes on to reveal Himself in your heart so that the law of God is known to you. But ultimately, at the top of the list, God's revelation of freedom to this world is you. It's a living epistle that you walk in total freedom in this life. It's a living word that we become that. That the word becomes alive and we walk in that word. Amen. Laws are funny things. And I think we get a little bit calmed by science. You know, we talk about the the law of gravity. Could I have my next slide, please? The law of gravity is called a law because it should work in all circumstances. Right? If I drop this Bible here, it will fall to the ground because of gravity. If I drop it here, it will fall to the ground. And we call that a law because it works in every circumstance. If it didn't, it would be called a principle. Now, what we're looking at here, and it's an important concept for you to grasp, is the law of freedom. The law of freedom for those that are in Christ Jesus. That when I'm saved, I've got something that can work for me at all times. But, there's an approach I've got to take. When a person gets saved, it's like God takes them out of the world and He puts them almost on a path, you know? Jesus calls it a narrow path. But that path is somewhat treacherous. We get there by grace through faith in God, right? And to stay on this path, we need to learn a little bit about the, both, the ditches on both sides because they're very much there. On one side of life, you could end up in works going back towards the law as a way of staying right with God. If you do that, in Galatians, it calls it falling from grace. He says in Galatians, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, don't go back to living by works because that will just make you self-righteous. Don't bring yourself under the law, the old law, again, but stay on the path. Stay under grace. Man, it's an important point, friends. Do you know what it says in Titus? I think it's Titus, isn't it? In the same manner in which you were saved, now walk. You were saved by grace. Through faith, now watch the ditches. Don't go into works and don't go into sin. Notice how they both ditches cause problems with self. It's either self-righteousness because we're working or it's self-condemnation because of sin. Neither of these is freedom. Neither of those is what Jesus... If anyone's in either one of these ditches, I tell you, the devil's got something on you. And you can't have freedom. Freedom only, gravity, if you like, only applies under grace. When I live and walk and I'm in full knowledge of the grace of God in my life. Remember, folks, any prayer I pray has got two entry qualifications before God. Two. What are they? (laughs) When God hears you pray, there's only two things on his mind. Is this person aware that they need grace? No matter how much they have worked, it doesn't count for the answer of their prayer. Does this, per- is th- two things. Grace is the first, and faith is the second. Is this person approaching me in faith? You see, the walk of freedom that Christ is on is that one. In the same manner, I got saved by God's grace by putting faith in Jesus Christ. Now I must walk every day in the same way. Not trusting in my works, not being defeated by the devil, but being sustained. By the grace and, and, and by my own faith in God. Amen? Now, I mean, you can tell if you're in works, friends. You can tell if you end up in the ditch just simply by the way you live. Let me give you an example. We call it the good day, bad day example. Right? Let's say you get up tomorrow morning. And the sun is shining. And you have your quiet time. And you drive to work and there's no traffic. And you go in and someone hands you a cup of tea and everything is rosy. And in the middle of the day, you know, God is in His heaven and all is right with the world, type of day, right? And someone comes to you and says, "Oh, there's somebody here who's sick," and you say, "I'll pray for them. Bring them here. I'll pray in the name of Jesus." Tuesday comes. You get up, and it's raining, and you go out of the house and you got a parking ticket, and you go into work and you have an argument with the boss, and you're all out of sorts. And someone comes and says that there's a person here who's sick. Oh no, not me today, sorry you'll need to go and get someone else today a person who thinks like that is in a relationship of works because you know what friends listen to me please your prayer is no more valid on the Monday than the Tuesday or was it was it based on works was it is that what you thought your prayer was going to be answered by was it that's not freedom and such prayers don't get answered they don't make it to God you know don't make it to heaven it's grace and faith that, you know, push through that. So where are you in relation to this? We're going to assess ourselves, especially tonight. I want to do some lists tonight. But where are you in relation to God in this? Is it a walk of grace or have you veered into works? Has the devil succeeded in, in bringing you into sin to infest your flesh, as it were, as, as, as Jesus overcame? If so, then we need to crucify the flesh mortify the flesh. So first and foremost, Jesus does not accept the lie of the devil. Amen? He understands it. He sees it. And he doesn't accept it. Secondly, he fully understands that he is free. Just like the bird doesn't understand, Jesus fully understands, I'm free. I can fly. I'm not bound. You can try and put something on my foot, but I will not accept it. I am Free. I am free. Amen? Say it. <laughs> I am free. You are free. You are free if you're born again, friend. You are free. And that is a fact. And everything else is propaganda. Plain and simple, propaganda, extremely effective. Extremely effective. It's worked for thousands of years. Do you know the devil has defeated every Christian who ever lived? No one has ever beaten Him. There's only, well, no human being. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever defeated the devil. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Right? So don't get ideas about walking in some sort of other strength. We need grace. You need the empowerment of God. Faith in Him. And that alone will sustain anyone in a walk of freedom. So Jesus is not fooled by the lie. He understands what freedom is, and I hope we do too, that we can fly, as it were. And thirdly, he knows what he's freed from, and he knows what he's freed onto. And this is our last few lists here. He's freed from Satan. He says, he's got no hold on me. He's freed from sin, and indeed the guilt of sin. You know, the Jews, don't you feel sorry for the Jews? the Jews would go to the temple, bring their bull, bring their goat, and blood would flow out of that temple 24-7, 365 days a year. But no matter how much blood, how many animals were sacrificed, the Jews still feel guilty because the blood of bulls and goats did not have the power to remove guilt. It was just a cover. And one man dies on the cross and Jesus, is, is, through freedom, wants you to know, you're free from Satan. you're free from sin and the guilt of it. You're not under the law as a covenant anyway. Praise God. You wouldn't want to be under it, right? So therefore, I'm free from the accusations of the law. We're free from being ruled by men, from death, and ultimately free from the grave. Unto, that's what we're freed from. And lastly, we're freed unto mercy from God instead of His wrath. What a wonderful thing. We're no longer enemies with God. Instead, He has made a bond through the cross of friendship. We're freed instead of sin. We now have service and from bondage to liberty. Let me invite the worship team back. Just listen closely. I want you to understand as Paul in Galatians chapter 5 tells us that it was for freedom. Just turn to that a moment, if you will. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. Look at this. By the way, if you're a Scot, the book of Galatians is written to you. You know, the Gauls were originally the Celts, and there's so many people around the world that this is addressing our forefathers and maybe traits that we find in ourselves, but these people had a problem with works, right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, that means come back onto the law, not live by grace, then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law, You are trying to be justified by law and have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Just look at the first verse again. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And I want you to understand that that verse, the passion behind that is the heart of God. Imagine having your child imprisoned when you know that you've done everything in your power to set them free. Imagine having to live with them under bondage when you know you've done everything, but they will not listen, will not respond, will not believe. Let me tell you a story just to illustrate that. There's this tramp and he's walking down a country lane. And as he walks down, he starts to hear screeching and squealing. And it sounds like birds, you know. And there's a big barn up ahead of him and the the squealing is coming from the barn. So he walks over and he peeks in the door. And inside the door, there's a boy who's got a cage with a load of birds in it. And the boy is torturing and breaking the birds' wings and poking out their eyes. He goes, oh, no. And the tramp feels so sorry for those birds. He thinks, I wonder, I wonder would that lad sell me those birds. And he looks around for what he's got. And all he's got is 10 pounds. So he goes back to the barn. He says, Hey, boy, you sell me those birds? And the boy says, You must be, these, these birds are worth nothing. And then the boy thinks to himself, I could make a bit of money here. How much do you got? And the tramp says, I'll give you everything I've got. I'll give you a tenner for them. And the boy says, Done. Deal. And off goes the tramp. And he's proud, he's pleased with what he's got. And he starts to heal. He starts to fix up those birds, restore them, bring them back to full health. And in his pride and joy is the day that he can take off the cage and let them go. And that day comes. And he goes, go! Do you know what the birds do? Up in the air, straight back in the barn. You can imagine that trauma. It was for freedom that I set you free. Do not go back again to the yoke of slavery. This is not, it's not said quietly. I believe God is screaming from heaven. It was for freedom that I set you free. Do not go back under Him. Do not go back under the ruler of this world. But walk in that liberty, walk in that freedom. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join us. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.